0: What's going on ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com and today I have special guest Tara Garrison on the line. This is actually take two. We were we actually recorded another time and it was a great podcast but that audio file did not work out so you just have to trust me in knowing that it was amazing. Without further ado, how are you, Tara?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me back. Thanks for the practice run on the podcast. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be like two times better this time.
0: <laughs> I have no doubt. I have no doubt. So I met you at the Metabolic Health Summit and we were talking about just, you know, keto in the space, how it's been used, um, you know, to kind of get people healthier, having, there's so many different ways to go about it. You kind of promote like a higher carb approach, especially for your female clients. You were talking about how you've seen competitors in particular who have just totally wrecked their metabolism being calorically depleted. Just kind of dive into some of the history about what, you, what got you into the space and what you've learned and just kind of just talk to me. Just talk to me. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah. So my background, like I've never competed, um, which honestly, I haven't really, I guess I'm rolling out with this, but I've, I've kind of been toying with the idea, honestly, just because I've had as a health coach, I've had like kind of a bad taste in my mouth toward competition just because I've seen people come out of competing with such like wrecked metabolisms and such wrecked mentalities, all this body dysmorphia and just big time eating issues. Um, so part of me is like, hmm, maybe I should go through it so I can see what they're really going through. Because I do tend to find a lot of people coming out of competing that are attracted to the keto lifestyle. I think because um, one, intuitively, I think they need know that they need some fat in their lives. And two, I think they're interested in like staying lean all the time. Right. And
0: so well, real quick, I must say, I could not believe it when you said that you never competed before. Because the first time I saw you, I was like, wow, she definitely is the. A- competitive, you know, figure athlete without a doubt. I mean, you have the the shape for it and everything. So you had me fooled for sure.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I just, I love it. I love the actual, like the essence of bodybuilding. Like I love it. I love lifting and all of it and nutritionalizing to build muscle. Um, That was a huge like breakthrough for me personally in my life because I always struggled with weight growing up and I always just wanted to be skinny, you know, like most, most women, most girls. And finally, like a few years ago, I just embraced my body (laughs) and I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I can build muscle pretty easily. And I don't, Need to be tiny, and I'm never gonna be tiny. So why don't I just embrace this instead? And it's just been like magic ever since. But um, going going back to what I was saying with the, the the approach that I have with keto, and especially if you want to hit on the competitor thing, like and women, especially when women are chronically deprived of fat and they're calorically restricted for years on end that's when we start to see health problems happen and i have a lot of clients that come to me with thyroid issues and it's just this like over stress on their body for way too long deprivation for way too long and so i do use keto with those clients as a tool, like a therapeutic healing tool. But then my goal with my clients is actually to bring healthy carbohydrates back in as quickly as possible. So it's keto adapting and getting that rush of all the healthy fats into their body. And once they're rolling with keto and they've experienced what it feels like to be keto adapted, to be mentally clear, to have their gut issues, Um, significantly decreased or healed altogether um, and to like start nurturing the inside of their body again, instead of fighting and depriving and, you know, (laughs) going for that same goal that I was going for growing up. That's just like the road to nowhere, (laughs) the road to misery and suffering. Um, Once we can get them to the place where they're nutritionalizing with healthy fats, they're not afraid of the fats anymore. They're keto adapted, they're a boss at producing ketones, then we start bringing carbs back in. And that's, that's my approach. I I love keto as a tool. Um, I'm not a keto zealot. I'm not a keto for lifer. I go in and out of ketosis. Um, I'm a big fan of metabolic flexibility. So I would say I go in between like Full keto and paleo somewhere in that range, a very very low carb, high fat approach for sure. Um, but yeah, that's how I look at it. I look at keto as an amazing tool to enhance our metabolisms and to heal our bodies and to give our bodies all those things that it's been missing for so long because we were all fed that fat is bad for you lie for
0: so long. Totally agree. Now we do have a pretty varying opinion there because I've this is this where it gets interesting. There's so many, you know. Zealots, like you say, where they're, they're so far one way or the other that they turn off to everybody that's not in line with their outlook toward nutrition. And I've always mm-hmm. fought against that. Like I, I do what I've found worked well for me, but I've never, I mean, it's not my place to judge what anybody chooses to eat or not eat. As long as we're all eating healthy quality foods, I mean, that's way better than the alternative. Um, I've always, you know, kind of gravitated towards being strict keto and being that indefinitely because it's just worked incredibly well for me Mm -hmm. um i do notice that more men tend to gravitate towards that way than than females and i'm not a female so i can't speak to the other side there but what are some specific benefits that you've noticed personally in bringing the carbs back in
1: well that's a great point and like to hit on what you said i do have some female clients that just do better on keto and so they are strict keto for long term and i definitely think there's a genetic um vac factor there and also just like our lifestyle our preferences our food tastes all of it Um, but for, for women generally, I find that like, depending on where they are and their cycle, they'll tend to have a little bit higher carbohydrate cravings. I mean, I can't tell you how many women I've worked with that like they love keto and they rave about keto but every once in a while they're just like gosh like I just really really wanted an apple the other day or I just really really wanted some sweet potato or fruit and so um, after my clients are adapted and they've been rolling with keto for a while we start moving into that intuitive approach and experimenting with that and so like for women I do believe that like depending on where you're at in your cycle you will have higher and lower carbohydrate cravings and of course like there's things you can do supplementally to make sure, you know, that isn't out of control. Like if you're craving a lot of chocolate, like we, we check magnesium and make sure you're not just (laughs) really getting depleted in magnesium. Um, there's, different things you can experiment with like carnitine and other supplements. But at the same time, I think it's important to work with our bodies and not against it. And women also are so emotional with their eating. And I like, like part of my coaching, and I'm sure you have to deal with this too, is like, there's the fun of manipulating macros and causing metabolic adaptations in your body and all of that. But there's also this side, and I feel like women are most susceptible to this, at least in my opinion of like fighting and almost punishing your body to be a certain way. And that Mm -hmm. above all is what I want to get my clients out of. Right. You know, it's like this, I tried to fast and then I ended up binging on something and then like, I'm so sorry. And I'm just, Oh, that's, that's the worst to me. You know, like I don't want my clients fighting their bodies. I want them working with their bodies. And I think that when we tell like say okay to our body sometimes and listen to them and give them give the our body what it wants without any guilt or shame that's when we can like reach another level in nutrition where yeah we can manipulate things and we can try different things you know with macronutrients but first and foremost i think it's so important for women especially to start listening to and working with their bodies and saying it's okay body i'm gonna give you what you want we're just we're gonna have a healthy version of it you know you want carbs we're not gonna have pizza and candy bars, but maybe we're gonna have an apple and some sweet potatoes today. <laughs> you know, so that that's where I start. And I do, I do think for women, um, that has been, at least in my experience with my clients, that has been the sweet spot for them.
0: Yeah, and and I'm trying to remember some of the things the pointers that you pointed out on the last podcast, but you had been keto prior to, you know, planning the car uh introducing cars back in for what was it like two years almost?
1: Yeah, yeah, about a year and a half. So like my my background went basic bodybuilder diet pretty much you know that's what i was on before i started keto and i i honestly had no idea that my body fat was this low but i got it tested right when i was starting keto so i had been on like the bodybuilder you know typical like i had some fat but it was mostly carbs and protein you know mm-hmm. and i was about 11 i was like 11.3% body fat and i was like whoa <laughs> that's really low i don't know if i need to be that low and so when i started keto i set out to gain a little bit of body fat. Right. But, um, and it, it was a really interesting journey for me because I definitely noticed like things happening to me emotionally when I started keto, like just feeling way more balanced, um, way more like, uh, mentally clear. Um, and I did, I did gain fat. <laughs> I really achieved. I actually gained, uh, 10 pounds of fat. That was DEXA scan, like not just 10 pounds, like, solid body mm-hmm. fat um, in four months. And that was that was an interesting journey, too, because I was totally fine with where I was at that put me in about 17 or 18% body fat. Um, But what I noticed as what for me personally, when I stayed keto for the rest of the time, there were times I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to lean out again, I'm gonna get down to like, you know, 14 or 15% body fat. And no matter what I did on keto, I, I just couldn't. I just hovered right there and maybe that's a good thing i don't know you know maybe that's like hormonally where i'm supposed to be and keto just kind of set my body there but i did notice that when i went back into a low carb high fat lifestyle so that's about 20 percent carbs for me that's where i tend to just naturally fall to um i leaned out like real quick And I I didn't change anything except for bringing some carbohydrates back in. And I like ever since then, I've been around 13, 12, 13, 14% body fat.
0: That's still crazy lean, especially for like a female year round to maintain. I mean, you notice anything like, I mean, do you, you, did you lose your cycle when you were down to 11%? I'm gonna have to assume so.
1: I didn't, I have
0: never lost my That's cycle. Crazy.
1: I, yeah, I know. I think it's really interesting. Um, my, so my mom is like naturally a major ectomorph. Like when she graduated high school, she was 98 pounds and five foot seven.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: So, um, yeah. And she was, she was like a track runner and she wasn't, she didn't have any eating disorders, although you would think it by that weight, but she just like had a really big family and they only had so much food to go around. And so you weren't allowed to have seconds of anything except vegetables at dinner. And then she was running for hours every day for track. And so she was very lean and just naturally very lean. Um, my dad's side is like the opposite. They are not naturally lean. Um, and so like, I always struggled with weight growing up and I just always thought that was like naturally me, but it's interesting. Like now that I eat a very clean lifestyle, like whether I'm keto or low carb, I eat, pretty dang well. Like it's going to be really rare that you're going to see me eat garbage. Cause I just, I really think about what's going to happen to the inside of my body when I put food in it. And Mm -hmm. so like I eat really well and I think that it has tapped me into a little bit more of like the ectomorph side of my body that I never knew I had. So I think that might be why, like I've never lost a cycle. I've never, I've never felt weird, you know, or like low energy or anything like that. So yeah, it's, it's been an interesting little, a uh, self experiment, I guess you'd say, managing my nutrition this way. But I feel great. I feel great at this body fat, and I mean, I'm 150 pounds. I'm not light, you know.
0: Got <laughs> a lot of muscle though.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do have a lot of muscle. Um, and it's been cool to just like eat to nutritionalize and like build and grow. And it's been very, very liberating. It's something that I really wish a lot of other women could have because. I eat to satiety. I very rarely ever track any food that I eat, Um, but I just eat to nourish and build instead of deprive Mm -hmm. and be skinny. And that's completely changed my life.
0: Yeah, that is, I mean, there's, there's so many different avenues we can go in here. First, I want to, you know, commend you for being, you know, keto for as long as you were prior to introducing the carbs. A lot of people they are always reaching for the next shiny new object, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, so to speak. and. I mean, go on a year and a half, like you let your body truly adapt, which is going to give you a much greater perspective when you do introduce the carbs back in, because you're going to know what's, you know, placebo versus how your body's truly responding, um, which, which is awesome. So many people, they just, they just don't give anything enough time to really sink in. And I see that totally. so much, you know, as a coach, like they're always, like they'll bounce around from different coaches, like seemingly every month. I mean, <laughs> no good coach can, yeah. can have a quality idea of what your body's responding to in a three week time span.
1: No, I have a client. She is um, just entering menopause. So she has things going against her already, right? Um, from a metabolic standpoint. And we started keto with her and she was on a very like bodybuilder type, high protein lifestyle for a really long time. And it took her like two months to really be able to start producing ketones at a good level. And I mean, even me as a coach, I was like, oh gosh, like maybe I should just like let her (laughs) give up. Like maybe this isn't gonna work. But I just I felt really strongly that she needed this adaptation in her body, right? And so we kept going. And finally she did like, I've noticed with my clients who have a hard time really adapting, if we do like another fast, then it will use a, a lot of times that like you know, a fast after they've already been eating keto for a certain amount of time, we'll push them into it. So she's, mm-hmm. she is producing ketones like a boss now. Like she's like, we're around ones or twos. And it is so amazing to hear her talk. Like my heart just like wants to burst because she's just like, I'm really going through something right now. Like I f- I've never felt this good. Like I realized like how like neurotic I was about my eating before. And I, I, I feel so calm and I feel like I can like, I just am eating to love myself. Like I wasn't expecting any of this. And it came because I was like, girl, you better give yourself some credit because it came because she stuck with it. So she's been keto for like four months now. But if you had asked her a month into keto, if she had given up a month into keto, she would have been like, oh, I, I tried that. I hated it. It was horrible. It didn't work for me. And because she yeah. stayed with it a little bit longer, now it's like changing her life.
0: <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, just just looking at different demographics of like my clientele base over the years. Especially, you know, it happens in both male and female, but when you get um, like a female, for instance, that's been just chronically under eating for, you know, years to try and get down to a lower body fat, their body basically just shuts down on their, their metabolism, their hormones, everything's screwed up. And then they're, they're so eager to find something that works because nothing they've done up to that point has that they don't really ever give anything the time that it needs to work. And it just becomes this negative feedback loop that is incredibly depressing. Like I feel terrible because I, I just want to jump in their head for a second and, and kind of rewire <laughs> some things and be like, look, this, this is going to work. You just have to think of it differently. But I mean, when you're at that point, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, to see and, and be optimistic because everything's a negative. Like when you look at food as a negative rather than just simply a fuel source, I mean, that's a total psychological shift on what you I mean you have to eat food like it's in order to survive you have to eat so if you view that as a negative thing you're basically punishing yourself every time you put something in your mouth which is just incredibly depressing and and that beats you up internally in so many different ways so changing your psychological shift uh, towards how you view food As a fuel source is like the first step, no matter what your goals are.
1: Absolutely. I love that you hit on that. And I love that you've experienced that too. I mean, the majority of my clientele are women, and it's very hard as a coach because. Like they come to me with one goal and it's like, make me super lean. right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you've been eating 800 calories a day for like four years. So what do you want me to do here? You want me to drop you down to 600, 200? Like what, what do you want to do? You know? And so it is, it's like, you have to talk to them about nourishing and getting their body to relax and to heal. And, um, you're right. Right. It's very hard as a coach because some people I have lost clients. I've had clients say like, oh, I'm not getting any results after four weeks. I'm done. You know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you're getting results. You just can't see them yet. You but, know you know, yeah, and that's, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, if, I guess in some ways, I guess I failed as a coach if I didn't help them understand that. But, you know, it is it is what it is. But I think like being a keto coach is such an interesting experience because you it really is to me about healing the metabolism and healing the mind and nourishing the inside of our bodies um but yeah every most people come to you because they just want to get skinny quick you know so it's it's kind of you you are responsible for taking them on a journey where they start to really understand that food is self-love you know and that's why i said like it's very i'm not gonna lie and say i never ever have like a bite of a donut or pizza or something bad you know, or not, I shouldn't say bad, but you know what I'm saying? Like unhealthy every once in a while, mm-hmm. but like, I don't get a lot of joy out of it. And it's not cause I like can't have it or anything like that. It's just like, I've started to understand it's, I have a, I have a lot of self-love with my body. I'm super grateful for my body. It brought four babies into this world. It's taken me through countless marathons. It takes me through every single thing I do every day. And I basically look at my body as like, I am the, like I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of this like universe, right? And so I want to be like a good, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, goddess or queen or king of our bodies, you know, like I want to be a, a good steward and give it what it needs to operate well. And so like that's been the like, I guess, nutritional uh, flip switch <laughs> has been flipped because like I now like look at food as like what is actually going to happen after i put this inside my body versus just like ooh that will taste good in my mouth for a second you know and right. so like yeah. I think when we start to look at it that way it makes good choices like way easier
0: 100% i mean if you don't have a long game approach it's it's hard to stay motivated to eat healthy i was actually talking to uh, chris about this the other day cuz i was talking i don't remember what spurred the conversation but it was like you know smoking for instance you know like smoking like, I am not, you know, in any place to judge people that smoke or don't smoke or whatever they eat, kind of like we were talking about earlier. But, you know, you look at smoking or, you know, alcoholics or anything, and they're, they're just poisoning their body, so to speak. But people don't look at the food they eat in the same light. I mean, I do. I, I look at, you know, if you eat donuts every day, I mean, you might as well be, you know, poisoning your liver with with alcohol or smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. Like, to me, they're all one and the same. Um But I mean, when you have, like when you put that much of an importance and an emphasis on the food that you eat, you know, that compounded over 50, 70, 90 years, I mean, that that makes a huge difference in your overall health. And if you're wanting to live a long life and not just improve your your lifespan, but also your health span, I mean, you have to have a long game approach and you have to know that what you're consuming on a day-to-day basis now is going to paint the picture of the life you're living. Down the road,
1: hundred percent. I I think of food as like a almost like a smart drug <laughs> now yeah. because, like I mean, you didn't did you used to be heavier?
0: Yeah, I, I was super small, and then I bulked up because I because I was supposed to you know bulk up to to get big, the stereotypical bodybuilder mentality, and I got up to two hundred thirty pounds. So. Too big for me, for sure.
1: Yeah. So like, I i mean, I used to be heavier, you know, I, I had four kids and after my fourth one, I had a hard time losing the weight and it was like, I don't know, I, I'd say probably like typical American of like, I'm going to be healthy and eat salads sometimes, but then you still have like brownies or cookies whenever you want, basically, or, you know, mm-hmm. go get a milkshake or, you know, I just wasn't, wasn't on point. And I remember how I felt as a human being during that time of my life. Like I didn't even realize how bad I felt. I remember like not being able to go to sleep at night because I was so like worried about every little thing that I had failed in life at that day with my kids and whoever I might have offended or like stupid crap, you know, and like, I just wasn't in a good place emotionally. I didn't feel good during the day and I didn't even know it. And then I switched my nutrition and I like completely became a different person. Like I got completely lit on my path, of who I'm supposed to be and where I'm going. I like completely got propelled on this journey of self-love. I became an entrepreneur. I'm like thirsty and hungry for the next amazing thing in my life. Like I'm enjoying every day. I'm full of gratitude. And I really think that it started with the food I started putting in my body. I think it completely changed who I am, the mental state that I have, the energy levels I have during the day. And um, I, I read uh, Dave Asprey's book, Game Changers. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe a few months ago. And he interviews all these experts, you know, all these game changers, all these like thought leaders and incredible people. And asked, he asked them all on this podcast, like what they attributed to being the thing that um, has like made them a game changer. And they, the number one thing that they all shared was the food that they ate. So I think I really look at the, the food that I eat. It's like, do I want, everything i can get out of life <laughs> do i want all my dreams to come true then i'm going to nourish this body with the best things i can give it so i can get that so that's how i look at it
0: i love i love that outlook i mean it's crazy to think that especially within the keto space i mean we're kind of making a living off of a lifestyle you know centered around the foods we eat and if you think about that for a moment it's, it's crazy i mean there's conferences focused on the foods we eat there's products out there focused on the foods we eat. i mean it's truly mind-boggling to think that a A nutritional protocol can become the vehicle that creates this life, but it becomes this catalyzing factor that just invigorates us and gives us some kind of sense of, you know, passion and belonging. And then the community is there and just keeps building like this fire within us. And I mean, it's, it's truly remarkable. And I just, I don't know, I, I, no matter how hard the day is, no matter how bad the day is, I can think and reflect on that simple concept. And I just have to smile because it's truly amazing.
1: I love that. Yeah, I definitely felt that at Metabolic Health Summit. I don't know if you did, but I was like, man, this is a group of some brain optimized people. Like the energy at that thing was just unreal. The conversations were so deep and meaningful. Like it seemed like everybody was on their path, you know, their intuitively guided divine path in life. Like it was just unbelievable. And I was like, these are some healthy people (laughs) inside and out.
0: The, a, lot, a lot of the people that I've talked to, like on the podcast and in person and just, you know, over the years, it seems like they've, they've come from like just a, a rut, so to speak. Like they were in a place mm-hmm. in life where they just were not happy or f- not finding fulfillment in their day-to-day. And, you know, the food, once they corrected that, that was like a, a win for them. Like it was a small win. And that's what it was for me. Like I had struggled with extreme eating disorders after competitions done the wrong way. And then keto was the first thing to kind of, give me a solid foothold on you know taking control of my food and i look at other people and they have similar similar backgrounds like something was wrong they were overweight they were not unhappy with how they looked how they felt whatever it was but the the, the way they ate you know changing that to keto gave them a, a foothold and then from there it's like okay i can i can take control i have taken control of this one aspect of my life you know and it's it's proving solid, what's the next thing? And then you just keep scaling up from there and it becomes limitless because you believe in yourself again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always say that keto is the gateway drug, to biohacking, because you're like, man, if I can feel this good off of manipulating my food, what else can I change in my life? (laughs) That's going to make me feel that much better. Right. And it becomes this like
0: amazing journey. Speaking of biohacking, what other quote unquote, biohacks have you been implementing or playing around with lately?
1: Um, Well, I'm a pretty big fan of supplements. And that's funny to say, because, you know, I used to be definitely be in the thought, you know, community of like, oh, I just get all my nutrients from food. But the more courses and education I've gotten on it, I'm like, man, you know, we live in a time where like, if you can afford to have supplements added to your diet, (laughs) Like, that's just more optimization you can give your body. Like, I just look at it as food now, right? And so, mm-hmm. I definitely um, look at supplements as like my number one biohack. Um, I love nootropics. Um, I love, let's see, what else? I mean, gosh, I've really dived in on like the Oura Ring. I'm a huge fan of the Oura Ring and tracking my heart rate variability and my sleep cycles. That's, um, I think sleep is the foundation for everything, um, I really have paid attention to that in my own life where like my stress levels, my anxiety, um, if I tend to start overeating, it always boils down. It's like, oh yeah, I was like super sleep
0: deprived. Do you do anything for sleep specifically? Cause that's like, if there's one glaring hole in my nutritional and life protocol, it would be my sleep.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I've noticed you post the or ring a lot on your story. Um, yeah. So what do you tend to lack in deep sleep or REM or?
0: Uh, well, total sleep. For sure. And then, you know, when I get a decent night's sleep, I always tend to have higher deep sleep than REM sleep. The other day I had actually slept for, I couldn't believe it, but I slept for eight hours. Like I forced myself and I actually had higher REM sleep in that instance. But generally speaking, my, my deep is always higher than my REM.
1: Okay. Same here. And that's what I was going to say is um when I first, okay. First of all, I have to say the reason I think tracking your sleep is so cool is because I had no idea that I wasn't getting very much REM sleep before I started tracking. Like I, cause I'm a very deep sleeper and I mm-hmm. thought, Oh, like I'm an awesome sleeper. Like, yay. <laughs> Winning. I got that one easy. And then I started tracking <sighs> my sleep and it was like almost no REM. And then I'm like, of course, researching REM and it's associated with like long-term memory consolidation and brain health. And I was like, Oh shoot. (laughs) so um i started experimenting with all these different things right like i got like salt lamps so i wouldn't have to have bright light at night and i got blue blocking glasses and um started experimenting with like the temperature in my room and cold showers and like all these different things and the only thing that helps me get more REM sleep is sleeping longer so if i sleep for like four hours or something crazy like i won't get any REM sleep and then if I sleep six hours, it'll get like a little bit. Sleep eight hours, I'll get all the REM sleep. And it is the only thing that, <laughs> that has made a difference. And so it's been like this, now it's this thing that I know when it's very empowering. It's like, dude, if you want to perform, if you want to be healthy and you want to perform, you have to dedicate more time to sleep. And for me, that's been a matter. I don't have a hard time getting up early in the morning because I love to crush life. What I, and I hear a lot of people talking about like, Oh, don't hit the snooze. Don't snooze through your dreams. Like you gotta have this morning routine where you get up at 5am and you meditate and you do all these things and you have this whole plan, right? And I do like that stuff, actually. I do actually do that. I don't have a problem doing the early morning stuff. My problem was the nighttime routine. I don't hear a lot of people talking about being disciplined in your bedtime routine. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I have had to get disciplined on that. I'm like, 9 o'clock, I have to shut it off because that's when I just want to keep like creating programs and doing all this work that I couldn't get through during the day, you know, and it's like, no, at nine o'clock, if I want to perform the way I want to perform at nine o'clock, I have to shut it off and get in bed. So that's, that's the only thing, honestly, that's helped me with REM sleep.
0: I mean, that makes sense. Like that one day that I slept the eight hours, I mean, that was the only time my REM was beyond my Mm -hmm. deep sleep. So that would be in line with your findings as well. I think, I don't know, I, I need to work on that. There's no two ways around it. There's just so many things like when you're it's kind of a double-edged sword being keto and having this zeal for life in an entrepreneur because, I mean, you just don't want to sleep. Like sleep is not something that <laughs> is fun. I mean, you would rather be up working.
1: Totally. I get really jealous when people are like, I just find I do best on four to five hours of sleep a night. I'm like, <laughs> so yeah. jealous. I wish I, I wish I was like that, but I'm not. And the reality of it is I think probably for you and me too, because we are entrepreneurs and we train really hard. I mean, that is a lot of output. That we're putting on our bodies like we need a lot of sleep to recover from that so the reality is like if you want to be a beast in the gym and have this like amazing body and perform like an athlete and you want to be an entrepreneur or like just crushing life in some way you're gonna have to sleep
0: <laughs> well it's funny you look at like the the day-to-day protocol of a professional ifbb you know bodybuilder that's doing this for a living and getting paid to do it i mean they have like blocks all throughout the day where they just go sleep like they they eat they train they sleep that's it like they just sleep and i mean it makes sense like you would have to be able to sleep to to create that kind of tissue and recover um i don't know i think i i have found that i need seemingly less sleep with keto than with carbs but i'm still probably getting not near as much as i should i definitely am not getting as much as i should do you do any kind of like um uh supplements as it relates to, you know, sleep aids or anything that gets you deep sleep? Like everybody was preaching CBD oil to me for a while to help with sleep. Have you tried any of that stuff?
1: Um, Yeah, I have tried CBD oil. It's cool. I mean, I I, I fall asleep really easy and I sleep pretty deep. So like, I generally don't think about using stuff like that. Although recently I have been experimenting with melatonin only because like, so for me, I'm always like, oh, I'm not going to like take stuff to help me do things that I want my body to do naturally. Right. Like, <laughs> but yeah. um, I got an email from one of my practitioner supplement accounts um, about some new studies that they've had on melatonin and they're finding that it's more than just it helps with more than just sleep it also helps promote angiogenesis and decrease inflammation and um like neuronal protection and all these other benefits so i was like oh okay <laughs> you got me i'm interested i'm gonna try it out so i have been experimenting with melatonin
0: and what's the dosage on the melatonin
1: it's uh it's 20 milligrams so it's it's a high dose melatonin and um from the the article that i got about it from um nutridin is who i use for supplements they're saying that scientists are looking at a link between high dose melatonin use and like fighting cancer and inflammation and neuroprotective benefits promoting angiogenesis and so i thought you know what i'm going to explore that a little bit um because they're talking about even having it like be used as antioxidant protection for people like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and stroke, which I have a pretty strong family history of. So yeah, I'm experimenting with that. I mean, I guess that's part of biohacking, right, is being willing to experiment on yourself a little bit. But yeah, it, and it, it definitely helps me fall asleep real quick.
0: <laughs> yeah. Most melatonin supplements are like three to five milligrams yeah. of dosage. So like 20, I mean, I imagine you got to be like tranquilized almost. <laughs>
1: Um, Not quite, but yeah, it 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 is kind of nice. I mean, it is a little bit nice for my entrepreneur brain that wants to be like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to read that book, and I need to write this blog post, and you know, all these things. I'm thinking it kind of helps me just forget all about that real quick. It definitely feels like a sleepy slumber comes over me real fast.
0: (laughs) Do you wake up groggy at all?
1: I don't, and that's why I I was thinking I would, but I still get up at like 5 a.m. and hit the ground running. So for me, it's it's been pretty cool so far.
0: It's interesting. At the playing with that. I've heard that and I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but some people have warned against melatonin use because it since your body produces it naturally, if you take in too much exogenously, it kind of shunts your own internal production of it. Yeah. I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. It, I
1: I have I have heard that too. So, I guess I'll find out <laughs> here, but um yeah, I am I am kind of a, in that like field of thought like i i don't like to give myself too many exogenous things that my body's supposed to do on its own i mean that's like for the same reason as that i like to do mct oil versus exogenous ketones cuz i like to encourage my body to produce things on its own but yeah i'm just i'm experimenting with melatonin right now so i'll let you know if like a year from now i can't ever fall asleep at night
0: <laughs> yeah. but you could do like something like caffeine cycling you could have like a like a week on or like a week off and then like high dosage followed by like a you know like a phase of low dosage or something that's probably what i would i would do
1: yeah that's a cool idea too for sure
0: so something else i want to dive into the last podcast um that nobody will have the pleasure of hearing we talked about running because you not only are jacked and lift crazy weights but you're also a pretty impressive marathon runner
1: thank you yeah um so running I guess the short story is like I grew up kind of running. My mom was a big track star and so like she found a lot of joy in running. So she used to like bring us to the track and stuff when we were little kids. I remember just playing in the long jump sand and, you know, every once in a while we'd go run at the park with her, but I never ran competitively or anything like that in high school. Um, But I did run for fun and just for like weight management in high school and college. And um, I ran my first little 5k uh, right after I got married when I was like 20 years old. And I was like, man, this was really fun. Like the music and the awards and just the community vibes. I was like, I'm going to do a 10 K. And then I did a 10 miler and then I did a half marathon. And then my sister taught me into running a full marathon, which I never, ever wanted to do. I was like, those people are crazy. Like a half marathon was so hard. I, I, I'm done. But she guilted me into it and I did it. And I actually was the one who ended up falling in love with it. Um, and I ran marathons pretty much all through like having kids. Um, and after my fourth baby, I ran a marathon and I thought he was only like eight months old. So it was pretty quick for me to be back in the marathon shape after that. And I mm-hmm. missed missed qualifying for Boston by nine minutes. And I got all excited. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, that's, I can do this. Um, three more attempts and I just kept missing it by like nine minutes. I was like, okay, apparently that's, you know, (laughs) harder than I thought. And then I started lifting and I didn't go keto, but I definitely went low carb and I lost like 30 pounds from doing that backing way off of running and lifting way more than I was running. And then on my next attempt, I qualified for Boston with 17 minutes to spare. It was my best recovery ever. I felt amazing. Um, And then right after that, I found keto. And so I actually trained for and ran the Boston Marathon in ketosis. Um, And it was uh, the training itself. I actually only got up to like 18 miles in my training because I had a lingering injury from when I qualified. Because um, I was like running out of my mind and overstriding, and I pulled a hamstring. So mm-hmm. um, I stopped running six weeks before Boston. So I kind of like the race was really, really hard. But I mean, when you don't run for six weeks before a marathon, it's going to be a little hard. Um, and so I would love to do like another marathon in ketosis to get like the real experience because my training up to 18 miles was amazing on keto, like, and I just always ran fasted just with exogenous ketones and it was, it was money. I loved it.
0: All right, so you said a few things that I wanna kind of dive deeper into. First of all, your your running time improved after you started introducing the resistance training, which I mean, I, I'm I'm all about that. A lot of people are of the mindset that you can only do one or the other. They they kind of compete for each other in a sense. And if you're, if you're trying to run, you can't lift and if you're trying to lift, you can't run because then you're just gonna be, you know, eating and cannibalizing all your gains, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, so my original fitness Instagram was lift and run. <laughs> and it was that was the point that I was trying to share with people was like, I'm not saying this will happen for everybody. But all of my bodybuilding friends are telling me not to run. And all my running friends are telling me not to lift. And I'm doing both. And then they're both uh, getting better and amazing, you know, because I think that having that aerobic base for lifting made me way stronger in my workouts. I mean, I could go, you know, my muscular Mm. endurance was pretty good. And then in my running, definitely just like increasing my power to weight ratio. Um, What I didn't just lift. I also did a lot of like plyometric and explosive type training. So I started training kind of like an athlete and a bodybuilder combined, which is still how I train. And um, yeah, it made me Such a faster runner like I used to run like nine minute miles. I mean after my babies I was running like 11 10 minute miles and then it would get down to like maybe eight something but now I can run like a, I think my marathon pace was like a 715 or something like that. So
0: 715 for 26 miles. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, who am I? This is so cool. And it really came from lifting and cleaning up my diet.
0: You know, it's, it's funny cause it's, it's pretty common to see people that are trying to build muscle. They just totally dispel all cardio. Like they're just like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to sacrifice any of my gains. And if you if you have good cardiovascular strength like look at squats for instance if you're doing you know sets of eight to ten reps on a squat then if you're winded after the first two reps you're just not going to be performing at maximum effort whereas if you're able to have good cardiovascular strength and power through a set of you know 10 12 squats i mean that's only going to help contribute to you know increased muscle and hypertrophy so
1: that's that's exactly right
0: yeah there's definitely a healthy blend between the two like you And and on the other note, like, I would never want to be in a position where I I wouldn't feel confident in my ability to just walk up and run five miles a day. Like, I I just, I feel like as humans, you know, we we owe it to ourselves to be capable and able-bodied. And I remember, I think it was uh, David Goggins' book that I was listening to, and he's, you know, hardcore, crazy extremist and Mm
1: -hmm. talking about
0: running. And after I read that, it's like, okay, I need to ramp up my running game. And since then, I've been... Increasing my mileage. I run every single day now. I add one mile each week and until I get up to uh, 10 miles a day and I'm just gonna do that I don't know indefinitely at the moment, but I've been doing that in tandem with my lifting and All of my lifts have continued to improve. I haven't noticed any Detriment there and my ability to run that distance has become much more easy, at, you know with each day that passes so I think it's, I'm definitely a fan of it for sure.
1: That's awesome that you're doing that. Seriously, kudos. Because most people, when I tell them I run, I mean, I would say 98% of the people that (laughs) when when running comes up, they're like, yeah, I hate running, (laughs) you know? And so I, I always tell people, I'm like, I would hate running too if all I ever ran was like one mile or two miles Mm because the first mile or two are always hard but once you get in your groove and you build that cardiovascular endurance it you it becomes meditation honestly it's like a mind over matter thing and you just you kind of like lose touch with even what you're doing and you just kind of drift into meditation at least that's what it is for me and so that's why i enjoy it so much because like i after a while i don't even notice that i'm running anymore i'm just like deep in meditation and so yeah it's I, it's, it's amazing for me. But I will say one thing I, I speaking of like biohacking, I don't know exactly where I'm at with all like the DNA testing that's becoming really popular now. But I'm, I try to always stay open minded. Um, and mm-hmm. I, so I've had a couple different DNA tests done. And one of them that I did said that like I had a lot of genes that would put me at an advantage for both endurance and strength. So anyway, when the guy was analyzing it, he just like gave me this look like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like, now we know why you are the way you are. So I mean, there could be some genetic <laughs> factors there too. Right. So that, that's something to consider. But I do think I love what you said about, like, being capable and knowing that we can do things and like, you know, I, once upon a time, if you told me that I would run the Boston Marathon, I would have just laughed you out of the room. Like, there's no freaking way I could ever do that. I would have never believed it. But it's amazing what our bodies can do when we just slowly adapt them that
0: way. Plus, it's, it's, just, it's just enjoyable to see, you know, to test your body and see what it's capable. Of. And if you have like a long game mentality to it and you just increase it gradually, like what I've been trying to do with just, you know, one extra mile each week, I mean, it, it doesn't become this, this insurmountable obstacle that you like that psychs you out. Like I'm on like today, Monday, this is the first day of me running six miles a day. And
1: that it's just, awesome. it's just
0: gotten consistently easier, you know, with yeah. each week that passes. And for me, I love it because, you know, I lived in the morning and then I, you know, go through it the day, you know, work with the employees, et cetera, et cetera. And it's the running at the end of the day, it's like a great way for me to kind of meditate on what will happen throughout the day, but it's also the one time, my only opportunity to listen to podcasts, listen to audiobooks. So it's like my opportunity to learn and work on my self-development, which is, I don't know, it's just like therapy for me.
1: Absolutely, me too. I love that. And I would say I love the way you're approaching it very, very gradually. Um, I think, so the recipe for injury and running is too much, too soon, too fast. You know, we want to do all the mm-hmm. things <laughs> generally. So it's like, I'm going to run, Six miles tomorrow, and I'm going to hit a 730 pace. <laughs> and then the next day, I'm going to run eight miles at a 715 pace. You know, like, so um, going really, really gradually. Like, when I was building up my running, I was going like in like quarter mile increments, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so like, I'm trying to qualify for the New York Marathon in 2020. So I started training last fall for that. Like that's, that's the long game that I have in my mind when I really want to do well and perform well, it's because I know I'm going to need a while to build up my base and then I can start working on speed. So yeah, it's keeping the long game like that and really, really gently getting your body up to that next level.
0: Yeah. I've really had to work on conditioning my feet. Like when I ran my Mm -hmm. marathon without training, my feet were just wrecked. And I played around with a couple of different shoes, and I, I I talked to Zach Bitter on the podcast, and he's a he he wears the Ultra shoes, like the Zero Drop shoes, and my lifting shoes are Zero Drop, which I love. I mean they're super comfortable, so I gravitated towards them for the running. But my feet were just miserable. I mean they would be in so much pain. So I actually bought a pair of Brooks this week, and those have made a huge difference. Like last night was the first time that I've run where my feet didn't hurt during the run, which was just, I didn't even know that was possible.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's important to work into that zero drop. I'm a big fan of ultra, but I actually have some Brooks as well that are pretty, um, pretty minimal but you definitely need to work into that like if i every once in a while (laughs) i shouldn't say this but every once in a while if i have like gym shoes on and i decide i want to run at the gym and i didn't plan for it and i definitely don't want to run in like my Metcons or something so i'll just like run barefoot in my socks on the treadmill Mm -hmm. which i don't advocate because you can kind of get like burns on your feet but I'll do it anyway sometimes and my feet will be so sore because I and my calves as well because I didn't like gradually work into that so if you're gonna I I am a big fan of like minimalist running shoes but it's yeah it's really important to work your way down little by little on the drop until you can get comfortable on that or you run a risk of getting injured pretty quick if you just jump right into it
0: yeah and see like since I I wear my lifting shoes throughout the whole day I mean I I love them I just assume that my, I mean, I assume my feet would be good from a running perspective, but I I learned that the hard way. Running (laughs) and walking are two different things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for
1: sure. That's cool. That's good that you learned that. And I'm glad that you got some new shoes to support you on that instead of just being like, nope, I'll just get there and just forcing it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been doing a bunch of uh, like trail running too, like through, you know, creeks and mud holes and everything. And I've really enjoyed that. And the the pace obviously is a little bit slower because there's a lot more obstacles, Mm -hmm. but I mean, just simply breaking up the monotony of hitting the road. I mean, I've really, really enjoyed that.
1: For sure. And so much better on your joints too.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what what else are you excited about? We've got, um, I want to be respectful of your time here, but what, what are you working on now as far as like the, the coaching techniques or what it is that you're, you're interested in from a research perspective, just where's things Mm -hmm. going for you?
1: You know, things that really for me have been going in the keto for women from like a metabolic healing standpoint. So I'm really diving deep into hormones and thyroid and um, like autoimmune and how we can tackle keto with that. It's, It's really pioneering. I'm following a lot of like the doctors, especially female doctors who are like researching this area. And yeah, that's just kind of where my intuitively guided path, I guess, has gone. I've just had a lot of women with these issues reaching out to me. And so that's mm-hmm. that's like my nerdy area, right? That I'm like researching on my own at night and things. Um, and then from a like coaching, I guess, like business standpoint, I'm really, really working on like my systems on teaching people how to go into ketosis and how to come back out and bringing healthy carbohydrates in and like really understanding and getting a a good feel about how those carbohydrates are affecting you, how you're feeling, how your gut is responding, how your mood is and all of those things. So that's, that's where I'm at right now is basically like learning how we can m- like manipulate the metabolism in a way that will heal our bodies and get us back to where we were always supposed to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, metabolism is something that, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely not as black and white as we probably originally thought. I mean, it's, it's not like we're an engine in which case you put in fuel and then you get a certain output and it's all easily measured. I mean, there's so many variables at play, like the hormones, the environmental factors, the activity, the, the genetics, the epigenetics, everything's involved. And there's not a whole lot of, I, mean, I don't know, at all. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of people that are experimenting with different ways of manipulating metabolism as there should be. I mean, that's just such a, you know, applicable topic that affects us all. And it's it's sad to see so many people wreck their metabolism because of it, misinformation or just ignorance around the topic. But for for like a good general rule of thumb, for instance, you know, again, this is going be highly individualized, but when you have a female client that's been chronically under for you know months or years even and they're around you know 1,000 calories or even less what what's like a good threshold to get them up to like at what point do you consider them to be at a healthy intake
1: so this is like when i have to really build relationships with my clients um because i for those women i don't give them calories and macros i don't even want them thinking about that and they they tend to still do it you know what i mean like they'll text me like hey Mm -hmm. so i only have this many grams of carbs and my ketones were only at a point six you know but um, what I'm trying to get them to do is to give to their body because for so long they've been depriving their body. And especially when we're doing something like keto, where we are actually depriving them of certain things you know you're not having carbohydrates like we really i really hit on them like eat all you want if you are hungrier today you need to eat you need to start working with your body and start listening to your body and loving your body and letting it know it's going to have all that it needs and it it pushes them you know what i mean like they want to get skinny quick. But these are the women that start to do that. It's so cool because I will get so many, so many times they'll be like, I have never eaten this many calories and been this lean. Like I actually lost two pounds and I like ate like 2,600 calories, you know, and they get so excited. And I really think that when we start working with our body instead of against it, it will start giving us what we want. So that's my approach with women who are like chronically, um, calorie depriving themselves, the last thing I'm going to do is put them on macros and calories and have them just stay in the same mental prison that they already have been living in for so long. So yeah, it's it It doesn't mean we won't ever get to that place where you're like, okay, yeah, now that you're in a healthy place, we might start like cutting down a little bit. Um, but I, I try as hard as I can to hit on like the mental side of things as much as possible. So they can get in like a loving place with their body instead of this like hate myself skinny syndrome that so many women yeah, deal with
0: I completely completely agree I mean there's there's a, an interesting phenomenon that happens when you when you're that low on your calories for for that long I made a YouTube video on this the other day but basically when you're when you're that depleted your body's just convinced that there's no surplus of food and energy and it automatically stores anything you do consume as adipose tissue and fat like as a reserve almost so there's there's like this phenomenon where you might, you know, cut calories for so long, you might lose a little bit of weight. You might see, feel like you're, you're losing fat, but then you plateau inevitably. And then what's worse is at that point, you not only just plateau, but your body actually starts gaining body fat because it it starts Mm -hmm. harboring everything you do consume for that reserve. And it becomes this, this, just negative. It's like a, the perfect storm for, you know, a bad mental outlook and a bad body composition. And at that point, if you can just consume. And it's a hard sell to tell people, hey, look, you know, you got to eat and you got to, you're probably going to gain a little bit of body fat initially because your body's not going to know what to do with it. It's just in a harboring mode and you've got to convince it otherwise. And and to tell people that are in that stage that you have to eat more and you're going to gain a little bit of fat, but it's going to be so much better for the long term is a hard sell, but it's such a necessary step.
1: It is. And I think one of the reasons that I've been able to maintain a low body fat as a woman for like i don't know four or five years on and now without like ever losing a period or feeling like i'm suffering mentally is because yes some days i eat at a deficit obviously right but when i get really hungry i listen And I just, I I guess I go through like a little bit of feast and famine and it's just like, I, I still eat all my healthy foods. I just eat as much of it as I want when those days hit. And I think that that has caused my metabolism to just stay on point. Right. So my body knows like I'm not starving it. And, um, I also like will intuitively fast too. So like, I don't ever say, okay, on Friday, I'm going to fast. I don't like that approach. I'm like really, really intuitive with my body. I'm almost a little bit esoteric with it. Like I'll walk around whole foods. Like, what do you need body? (laughs) That makes me sound like such a weirdo, but I, (laughs) I will like go into the produce section and just like really listen for a second, like internalize, like what sounds good. And it can be like the weirdest things. And maybe I'm just fooling myself, but it's like arugula sounds really good. So I'm going to get some arugula. And I just, I kind of roll like that. And I feel like it's like, this process of working with my body instead of against it. And I also think that like being a mom has really helped me with my outlook towards my own body and my own health, because I kind of take the same principles I use as a mom and do that with myself. So it's like, I don't believe in depriving my kids of like treats and telling them they can't have sugar and all that. Cause I think that creates a lot of disordered eating patterns in kids and makes them like start wanting things that they may not have even wanted in the first place if it hadn't been restricted. And so I right. don't restrict anything with them, but I just like tell them like, Hey, let's fill up on the good stuff first. And then you can have cookies or whatever, you know, then we can get dessert. But, um, I do that same kind of approach with myself. It's just like, fill up on the good stuff and then see if you really want. All the junk. (laughs) And it's like, nope, actually, I was just hungry, you know? And so keeping this mentality of like, you can have it. I always remind myself that was a huge breakthrough for me because I used to try to sit there and like, go at a huge calorie deficit and eat, you know, like 1400 calories a day, which I just can't live off of. It's too little for me. And, um, I would like, you know, be so hungry and then wonder why I would like go eat a bunch of M&Ms or a brownie or something because I was hungry, you know, and that stuff looks really Mm -hmm. good when you're hungry. And so I just started getting this approach of, you can have it. You can have all you want. You can have all the brownies. You can have all the M&Ms. You can go drive to the cupcake shop and get a whole dozen and eat them right now. If you want to, you can have all those things, but what do you really want long-term? I want to be fit and healthy. So fill up on some good stuff and then see if you still want it. And if you do have it, you know, and every once in a while I would, I'm like, okay, yeah, I filled up on chicken and broccoli and sweet potato. And I still want that. So I'm going to have it. And I think like giving myself that and not shaming myself about, it and be like, what I wanted, it. <laughs> like I chose that, and just owning, like that's what I want, and that's what I chose at that time, and then moving on, that like changed everything for me. Instead of getting in this vicious cycle of like deprive, deprive, oh I failed, dang it, I'm such a loser. Uh, deprived, deprive. Oh, I failed because I got really hungry and I ate something, you know, like that's the worst cycle that I think you can be in. And so I think having this motherly approach to ourselves of like, you can have cookies, you can have dessert, just see how you feel after you fill up on some real food can go a long way.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, having a holistic approach to the food you're eating is, is absolutely key. I mean, if you're, if you're walking to the grocery store and you're asking your body what it wants, it starts telling you like pop tarts and and something like that. I mean, you might have to like second guess <laughs> yeah. it a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, absolutely. If you're, if you're filling up on the quality, wholesome food, then, then you're rock solid, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, fasting is obviously great. There's so many therapeutic benefits to it, you know, from an autophagy standpoint, I mean, you always hear the benefits of fasting and, and with that, you know, food and surplus is often demonized, which is unfortunate because that's not really the right approach either. I mean, when I did that 6,000 calorie experiment, my metabolism improved tremendously. Like my my metabolic baseline now is like 3,500 calories, which I would never have assumed. But, right. you know, having an ebb and flow in a healthy cycle with your consumption, both in a surplus and a deficit is, is natural. And that's what your body yes. has been doing and has evolved to do for hundreds of thousands of years. So embracing that is key.
1: I love how you put that exactly that's exactly how i live and it's nice to not live on some 24-hour clock of (laughs) this is the approved amount of food i can have in 24 hours and then (laughs) keep you know we're not robots like we have hormones and we have different output every day and we have you know all sorts of different factors going in and out of our body so we need to just like listen to that and i think you know um even men and women alike binging and overeating and all of that stuff it comes when you start getting in that deprivation mindset and so yeah you're absolutely right like you can't be like i think my body says i want zingers and a uh, big mac you know like <laughs> your body might say that at first but so it, it does take some um changing and a little bit of discipline in the beginning to be like okay i can have the big mac and the zingers if i eat <laughs> this giant veggie egg scramble with avocado let me see if i still want it after that you know um so it does exactly. take a little bit of a Discipline at first on making good choices, but then eventually, like, you know, I have days, I'll be totally honest. I have days I probably eat like four or 5,000 calories and I don't even sweat it because I know that like I'll naturally probably go in a deficit, you know, or maybe I don't, I don't put pressure on myself that way. And it's just, as long as it's good quality food, I just, I don't sweat it. And it's worked really well for me for a long time now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that everybody can just function at that high, you know, effective, efficient rate instant, like it takes time to get there. But that is definitely like the, the goal in which to get to. I mean, that's how I feel myself. I mean, there'll be days where I'm eating 6,000 plus calories and there'll be days where I'm fasting completely. But right. knowing and being so in tune with your body is such a powerful thing. So if you can reach that, I mean, that's what everybody should strive for in my opinion for sure
1: right and it's why i'm such an advocate of lifting especially for women too because i definitely couldn't have done this five years ago when i didn't have muscle there's no way like i i was restricted on how many calories i could eat before i would just gain fat like crazy and so lifting changed that for me and i'm sure that's why you can also eat so much you know like testosterone and growth hormone those things are amazing (laughs) for metabolism and just having muscle and burning all burning all day long like that it's very liberating so i love that for women because it's like you can finally eat
0: <laughs> especially now that i'm doing the running too like the running and the lifting together i feel like i could i mean it's crazy i feel like i can yeah. put down some serious
1: <laughs> yeah that's probably but, why i can eat so much for sure
0: yeah it, it, it's been good for sure um well cool deal tara where can people go to find out more about you
1: Um, so I'm most active on Instagram. It's Coach Tara Garrison, T-A-R-A. And then my website is CoachTaraGarrison.com. That's where you can reach me and find all my programs and um,
0: reach out to me if you want to work with me. And you are starting a podcast too, right?
1: I am. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I haven't released it yet, but it's going to be called the wonder women collective. And it's going to be all women who are currently going through their spiritual and health journey and sharing their stories. And I already recorded the first one um, with Kristen Rowell, who I think, you know, and it was powerful. So I'm so, I'm so excited to launch that podcast.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Kristen and you, I mean, yeah, you're you're all like, like two peas in a pod. I can just imagine you're know, like <laughs> going to the gym and then go run an ultra marathon together or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we, you, if you get to hear the podcast, you'll see it's pretty, it is pretty awesome. And she's, yeah, she's a powerhouse, little marathon running bodybuilder extraordinaire. So, um, and also very spiritual. Really- so yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> well, very cool. I will definitely link out to those. And let me know, I mean, I, I guess that that will be the the link to the podcast when it does go live. They just type that in and it'll pop right up.
1: Yeah. The Wonder Women Collective. Yeah. So Perfect. Yeah, thank you.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Well, Terry, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we got to, to redo this because you have so much insight. I just love people to have the opportunity to, to get an idea of where you're coming from and kind of your outlook towards health and nutrition because I think it's a very healthy long-term approach which is what people should strive to to acquire
1: Thank you Robert I super appreciate having you having me on and like I completely resonate with you and everywhere that you come from on health and fitness and I love like your humble approach towards it so it
0: was awesome talking to you today well thank you thank you I will probably see you at one of these conferences I'm sure coming up soon so until then you have a wonderful day.